Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to True Restoration. Here is your host. I'm your host, Jason Gordiano. Our show guest is Father Michael Oswald, pastor of St. Benedict's Roman Catholic Church in Lacey Spring, Alabama. Uh, welcome, Father, and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me again. So, Father, uh, how was uh, your Holy Week and uh, and your Easter season? And it's good to have you back. Well, thank you. It's uh, as always, uh, Holy Week is such a special time within the liturgical liturgical year of the Church, and uh, it was uh, always uh, always intense. Uh, as, I, as I think I mentioned before, every priest, you know, very little sleep, but you know, always very active. Very, it's all certainly worth it as one participates in the, the sacred triduum of the church. And uh, so all crosses, you know, we had, like myself, I was sick and we had, you know, a very uh, difficulty in other, you know, trying to get servers to, to do things this way or that way or whatever. It's always, you know, it's always crosses, but those crosses are certainly always well worth it uh, because we know that they give glory to God uh, when we offer them up as best as we can. Um, so still, it's always nice. Uh, Easter is a time of great joy, and and at least for the first part, anyway, for a priest, it's a good time of rest as well from Holy Week. Restoration Radio is pleased to present Escape from the Novus Ordo, free of charge to our listeners by the generous sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch, NovusOrdoWatch.org. Are you wondering what has happened to the Roman Catholic Church? Are you confused, shocked, alarmed at what Francis has been saying recently? Then log on to NovusOrdoWatch.org for traditional Catholic news and information with insightful commentary and razor-sharp analysis. Since 2002, Watch has been exposing the Vatican New Church and its false popes by comparing and contrasting their new religion with the true religion, the modernist Novusordo teachings with the teachings of the Catholic Church. Go to NovaSortOfWatch.org, that's NovaSortOfWatch.org, to see why Francis is not a true pope and how the modernist Vatican II sect differs from the Catholic Church. That's NovaSortOfWatch.org. To receive access to all Restoration Radio episodes, please visit RestorationRadioNetwork.com. Go to the member area on the mini bar to find out details on becoming a member. If you are not a member and would like to purchase an individual episode, go to RestorationRadioNetwork.com. Navigate to the episode of your choice and simply click the links below the player on the page. After completing your purchase, you'll be emailed a secure download link. Restoration Radio episodes are syndicated on iTunes and Stitcher. If you are listening to our content in iTunes or Stitcher, please be sure to leave us ratings and reviews. This will help those who are searching for truly Catholic programming to more easily find our content. You may find the links to these two syndicates on our homepage. Uh, so this episode, Father, we're continuing where we left off last episode, highlighting the differences between the the old Mass, or rather also known as the, the true Mass, the traditional Latin Mass, versus the new Mass of Paul VI, or the, the uh, Novus Ordo Missae, and uh, looking at the differences in some of our experiences of, of the past, and to show that a, a reverent Novus Ordo Mass just isn't enough. And life in the Novus Ordo sect isn't getting any better. Um, as a reminder, uh, the purpose of this show is to help give encouragement and guidance from a true Catholic priest, Father Michael Oswald, to help us to discern and become a Catholic in order to save, save your soul. In part one of Intentional Irreverence, the New Mass, we started covering a comparison between the Old Mass and the New Mass following uh, traditionalmass.org slash verses. 
And we left off on the section about fidelity to Catholic doctrine. So in the Old Mass, over a course of the year, presents all facets of Catholic doctrine. While in the New Mass, there's a systematic omission of Catholic doctrines. New prayers systematically omit references to hell, judgment, punishment for sin, merits of the saints, the one true church, the souls of the departed, and miracles. Um, in the last episode, we showed the the list of omitted words that you won't find in the Novus Ordo, the Novus Ordo Mass. And if you do find them, they their meaning has changed. And uh, Father, last episode, you ended with with a mass, with a uh, Novus Ordo Mass you were presiding when you were still in the Novus Ordo that the uh, reader who was a who was a sister uh, had left out part of the uh, epistle she was reading. Yeah, she was. Uh, um, she took the liberty upon herself to decide that this section, that section of the epistle, which <clears throat> I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was, it did mention in a vague way uh, about judgment or hell or something of that nature, <clears throat> and she took it upon herself to as a, her own authority to say, ah, we don't really need to hear that. And so she skipped over that. So that was, <clears throat> that was, uh, that n- is not uncommon in, within the Novus Ordo because the, uh, one begins to take liberties upon themselves to change words of scripture or even or, or words of, of the mass itself or anything to do with the, the parts of the mass. And, I've been. At, I was at many, and I'm sure many um, listeners too were in the Novus Ordo and <clears throat> were at different liturgies and etc. Where the the presider, the the priest, would even change uh, the words of the Eucharistic prayer to his own benefit, or or even sometimes the words in consecration to his own benefit, uh, and it, it would seem to be okay. And it was, um, you know, it was. It's a taking upon authority upon oneself to say or do whatever in a sense they want to do because of the the whole new mass is about options about it's about uh, I can do this or do that I, I you know whatever in a sense I feel like whatever is pastoral um, whatever is uh, you know convenient or or oftentimes there would be certain thematic um, images or things you know kind of almost like a a play prior to a theme almost to a, a, a Novus Ordo mass, you know, that this is what we're going to do. You know, we're sort of playing up this theme or that theme, and it's almost like theatric. And so you kind of play with that, and anything kind of goes. That's why you have all sorts of, uh, you know, all the all the crazy masses in a sense, you know, the clown masses, the polka masses back where I was from as well, you know, all these sort of things. It's uh, um, it's just part and parcel of the of Novus Ordo, the freedom, quote-unquote, given the lifting of rubrical barriers or the the guidelines. And so basically we can make it up as we go. Uh, Now, Father, one reason you may be having trouble remembering which reading that was back then would be because of the multi-year cycle of of the No Sort of Mass, where on weekdays there's a two-year cycle and on Sundays it's a three-year cycle. Some in the No Sort of may say that that this is an improvement because there's more scripture. Now in the traditional mass, it's just a one-year cycle. Is that right, Father? Basically, yes, yes. I mean, you have, depending on the mass, either if it's a feast day, etc., or superseded by like a Sunday or something, yes. But basically, you're right. It's, it's 
set standardly in, in basically about a year. But with the whole three-year cycle that of the new math is that, and we were taught this in seminary that you know the whole purpose of it was so that more where people are more exposed to scripture and and, and somehow a, a better standing of the doctrines and beliefs of the church, et cetera. And, and so it's con- kind of like um, supposed to give a more richness to the life of, uh, of the Catholic. But but really, and, and it really, it, it doesn't really work that way in, in practically, in practice, because you only hear, you know, maybe a, a portion of the scripture reading once every three years or something. And so it's kind of the, the, the false premise, I think, pushing by the modernizers of the modernists is, you know, wanting to basically make the mass more palatable or more more uh, um, enticing to Protestants. So they had to emphasize a more Protestant aspect of it. And of course, Protestants is, you know, sola scriptura, scripture only, the Bible only. Now, in of itself, of course, the Bible, reading the Bible, in fact, Pope Leo XIII, you know, uh, exhorted the Catholic faithful that, in fact, even indulgence to, to if one spends 15 minutes um, a day reading Holy Scripture, there's an indulgence attached to that as well. So, I mean, all Catholics should be familiar with Holy Scripture. I mean, that's, that's the Word of God. And, and so we understand that. But the, the one of the fallacies, at least sometimes when non-Catholics and Protestants will throw at Catholics, is somehow, well, you don't know the Bible, you don't know Scripture. And, and they're very good at uh, quoting scripture passages. They'll quote, uh, okay, Matthew 16, verse 8 says this, 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 this. And they'll quote that. Well, that's very good. But but they only know really some those selected sort of quotes like that. They don't know. They can't quote everything. And, and um, so it makes it seem as though they're very, you know, that they, they know the Bible all, all the back and forth, you know, every word of it, etc. Well, they don't. And Catholics, though, know, know Scripture through the Mass itself, even, of the true Mass. They actually know the, the Scripture. Or they, know, they know the Scripture very well. Um, they may not be able to quote verse and passage, um, but they certainly know, and they've heard it, because it's by repetition. You've heard it over and over and over again, and, and it's not as if it's, um, you know, when you hear it, uh, it it's not like it's... Uh, Oh no! Here's this scripture again. It's not this, you know. So here we go. It's this, you know, this gospel again, or this epistle. You know, it's when you hear it in the context of, oftentimes with the, that of the saint, or if it's a saint, it's a feast day, or if it's uh, a Sunday, or whatever it may be, is that you begin to, by repetition, you know, the more you hear it, the more you're you're actually internalizing it, and the more you're being to, as you know, go deeper in a sense in that scriptural understanding as you begin to see it more clearly. Because one can read scripture. And, and in a meditative fashion. And at one point, you can get something, you know, a very a good uh, understanding of it here, but then a little later, read it again, and it's something new and, and, and uh, even more in-depth. And so it's there is a, a certain rich reservoir of that. But to but in a sense, it's kind of like um, with a new Mass, is that they're just, um, rather than and feeding one the capacity uh, in Scripture that one can handle and one can absorb, is that almost it's they're throwing like a five-gallon bucket of water on you and expecting you, you know, to 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 be able to take that rather than just a sip of water. Um, so it's kind of an overkill in a sense, and it really doesn't 
Um, I think the intentions, anyway, from the, you can write, read from the modernists when they changed the net was to basically make it more uh, appealing to us and saying, "Look, we we are you know we emphasize the the Bible now. We also, well we always did. Um, in fact, we we're the only ones who can anyway because um, you know we have the Catholic Church gave us Holy Scripture, um, you know, through uh, through her, and so." Um, you know, we are the guardians of it. We are the holders of it. It's one of those things that the the reformers and the, and the modernizers, the modernists, you know, like to try to say, "Oh, see, this is really a, it's really a good thing," but really it pushes their agenda, and it doesn't help the faithful um, at all. Because you can talk to anyone in the Osorio and and uh, <clears throat> ask them about scripture and you know about this, and, and they would have really no clue. Um, I mean, they really. Well, yeah, I remember hearing something about that, or I remember that, or I remember this. But even the translation of um, you know the the official text that the sacramentary uses in the Novus Ordo is from the New American Bible, and that if of itself, you look at one of those, and it says it's not a translation from the Vulgate or a translation from the Dewey Reims. It's a, an interpretation. I think there's been scholars who have pointed out that the, it's actually changed the actual meaning of the textual passage in that regard, so because you're, you're just kind of taking the, um, whatever interpretation you kind of want and not going from the direct translation of the official translation of the Holy Mother Church, which has been since the beginning from the Vulgate, from the Reims, etc. And uh, so you have this whole wide thing of, of the of the modernists, you know, Trying to say, well, isn't see, isn't it? We should, you know, we we all need to know all scripture. We need, so we're getting more scripture, more scripture, more scripture. But in reality, you know, people don't really. It doesn't. It's not helping them. They're not understanding it. And they're not, um, and they're not. Uh, it's not uh, resonating or res- registering with them. And it's just an excuse to push their agenda. I think, from um, which is basically Protestantizing the mass to make it more palatable for us. It uh, still scares me, Father, when I'm when I read a psalm and then I realize I recognize part of it from a uh, Novus Ordo Protestant hymn. Still trying to get away from that now and then those memories, and uh, I guess that that speaks toward the three-year cycle. I believe you may have talked about this in an earlier talk of yours about dilution, that they uh, take something Catholic but then dilute it and then basically loses its substance because by diluting it, they leave out essential Catholic truth or like in the case of the three-year cycle, get rid of uh, lots of the, uh, the feasts of the saints. Right, exactly. And and if you notice the, yeah, they, they abrogated a lot of them. And, and but even the three-year cycle with the three-year cycle is that they may have more scriptural things, but as we as you mentioned before, and I think I mentioned, and there's been great articles written and, and actually research done, is that they have abrogated all those scripture passages that really, you know, are the ones that hit you between the eyes. You know, so there's mentions of hell or of of judgment or of um, you know our responsibility as as what to do to save our soul. Basically, um, has been either excised or so watered down or so you know mutated because even you'll find within the sacramentary of the, and I remember myself because oftentimes when I try to put together a a sermon a homily 
you know, you, you take the scripture passage and then you you read. It would be it would be um, say that's it's from Mark chapter three, um, and so you have verse one through six, and then it skips, and then you have verse like ten through twelve, and then one as of as if it's you know uh, meant to say that this is just a one you know uh, flowing through one thing. It's everything there, but so you, but then when you look at that passage, those parts that were skipped. Well, there's the meat of that you're supposed to, I mean, the real meat of things uh, there. And I would often kind of, in my sermons and stuff, I would say, uh, well, you know, in this uh, gospel passage, yes, we have this, but then, you know, the part that we was missed, this is, you know, and I would expound on that, which would be like talking about judgment or something of that nature. And and uh, so they're pretty sly in, in what they did, is they, they really... You know, they may have said, "Oh, you're getting more," but actually, truthfully, you're kind of you're getting less uh, in regards to the the doctrines and the dogmas and the things that are. Now, all scripture, of course, is necessary. All the scripture is important, but to to excise things on purpose to either make light of things or maybe not offend high or offend the sensitive ears or what have you, it, you know, is wrong and it doesn't help the people. And that's just one of the another things that people are thinking they're getting bread, but they're getting stones. Our next comparison is with antiquity in the Old Mass. The bulk of Sunday prayers and their arrangement goes back to at least the 300s and 400s AD. Canon essentially the same since St. Ambrose, who died in 397 AD, versus the New Mass novelty. Old Sunday prayers omitted or stripped of doctrines rearranged in the 1960s. Only 17% of old prayers remain. Chunks of ancient canon are now optional. The words of consecration, Christ's own words, for you and for many, are changed. Three suitable canons invented and introduced in the 1960s and still more invented later. Uh, Father, you spoke about Eucharistic Prayer 1 in the Novus Ordo last episode. What has happened to the words of consecration in the new Mass? Well, you know, that's uh, that was always, you know, that was hotly, of course, uh, debated in, in the, um, at Vatican II, I believe, reading from some of the accounts of that, is that uh, the people that that were putting these things together, you know, they were not they they were not they were not ignorant. <clears throat> uh, and sometimes we can some people make the argument, well, you know, there's they were just um, hoodwinked, or they were, um, you know, they're just uh, um, they didn't know what was going on or what have you, etc. And you know, they'll, they'll point to John Paul II or or Ratzinger, you know, the Sixteenth or whatever. Well, you know, they're just they didn't know what was going on or something like that. Well, these were highly, highly educated men, <clears throat> and all of them, and back in Vatican, they were had they were all highly educated. They were very, um, they were um, taught <clears throat> very well in regards to what the church teaches. They were taught in regards to language, the Latin language as well. So they all knew it. I mean, maybe there were some who, you know, maybe just kind of glided through it, didn't really know, but they, they, you know, they, they knew, they had to know the ins and outs of the Latin language. And so, you know, one of the things that just, just boggles in a sense the mind is that how could in their translations from the Latin to the vernacular, whether it be English, Italian, French, whatever, that they did change the sheer fact of it was changed in the Latin. It's very clear 
it's, you know, for many. I mean, there's, there's no other word in that regard I mean, for that. Is that why, how could they get to say with any sort of seriousness, well, we're changing it to now for all. No. It can only mean that they're pushing their agenda of that universal salvation, of it's for all that understanding that, you know, all now are saved and all are welcome, et cetera, et cetera. And so the, just the, but the sheer audacity to, to think that one can change something as integral as the words of consecration. And in seminary, I may have mentioned this before, but in seminary we were taught <clears throat> actually that um, the, the, um, it's the entire Eucharistic prayer that is the one that confects the sacrament. It's, it's no, you know, we can't look at the words of, these certain words as being, quote unquote, I remember one of our liturgists saying magic words to say, you know, somehow this happens. Well, it's, you know, have to, it's the whole, basically you're trying to say it's just the whole spirit behind, you know, basically you can say whatever you want as long as that spirit is there to change the, confect the sacraments. And we all knew it was just garbage when they were trying to teach us that. But so the sure audacity is they can just change something as integral as the, where the consecration is, is well, I mean that that just that just shows the uh, the the uh, lack of goodwill that was there. But you know, I, it's it is um, the the whole words of consecration. I mean, you have to the rubrics will tell you in in, in the mass, uh, the true mass. You know, the rubrics is that you have to say it precisely, and you have to say it uh, correctly. Um, you can't omit or or put anything in; otherwise, it'd be invalid. And so, you know, one kind of wonders now that they've changed that back. Now they've changed that. Just you know, in the last few years, you know, the translation now, and you see in the vernacular now, they're saying no longer, you know, for all, it's for for many now. Well, if if anyone who is is a, a, in any way understanding of the preciseness of language, of, of especially of that of a sacrament. So they're they're changing now back to the proper translation now of, of for many from for all. Now, what about all those quote unquote masses that were said with for all? Were they valid? I mean, it, it, speaking in the mindset of the Novus Ordo, obviously us we know that none of it was mad. It didn't matter if they were because they had to have true priests, etc. But but nonetheless, for them within the Novus Ordo, for those who are within the Novus Ordo, conservative or whatever, and uh, knowing that the words of consecration, you know, cannot be changed, they shouldn't be, and they have to be said correctly, and they have to be said integrally. So it's kind of like uh, that must put some in a quandary. And so all those who say, you know, for for all, well, so how could they? Uh, so what is correct? <clears throat> you know, what is the correct then words of consecration? Because that's what's in the mindset of the people now. It's like, well, you were saying that before, but now you're saying this. So, I mean, uh, even in the most simplest of minds, they're thinking, well, aren't the words of consecration supposed to be important? And so what is going on here? So it's even throwing even more confusion into the minds of the lay people, which is basically, it's basically then again, well, it doesn't matter then. Nothing matters. Um, it's just, it's a free-for-all. Whatever we can do, whatever we want, it's just, you know, there's nothing written in stone and nothing really matters then. So we can we can have our team masses. We can have our crazy masses. We can have all these things that really doesn't matter anymore. It's either all, it must be all good then. 
So that's, uh, you know, there's an insidiousness, I think, behind a lot of these things. But you're seeing, too, I think, from what I understand, um, that there are many uh, within the North Order who are, are desiring uh, to go back to the old uh, translations, the old meaning the, you know, for all and you know, no longer, you know, with um, the Lord with you, with your spirit, the Lord be with you, and also with you sort of thing. They want to go back to how it was before because they they don't like the, well, the more exactness, I guess you can say, of, of the proper translation of things anyway. So you, you kind of, you're stepping back and you're looking and you're seeing that what is the, what is the driving force behind all of this? And it's, it's, on the surface, they're saying, oh, it's trying to get back to, you know, uh, the, the, our roots or our integrity, you know, trying to be more faithful, et cetera. But ultimately what it's doing, just like with the three-year cycle and, and that, you know, thinking that, well, this is a good thing, but it's just throwing more confusion and more indifference in the minds of the faithful. Yes, there's always that appeal to more ancient or more faithful and that tension goes back and forth, uh, depending on when it's convenient. And uh, yes, Father, so that that new translation of the Nova Soto missile was in Advent of 2011 that, that began. And the conservatives were very optimistic and thought, you know, this is going to end the quote-unquote liturgical abuse. You know, it's going to be more reverent language. And then the liberals screamed and uh, wanted their old translation, or the old... 1970s translation back. In the end, it truly is a a new religion. Ultimately, yes. I mean, but but again, I think what you're what is happening is that you're having a more of a division. You've always had a division within the Novus Ordo. Um, you know, that's part of the lack of the uh, uh, four marks of the church, a true church, and so you have this division between conservatives and liberals, and so there's always been this tension and fight between them and this kind of vying for power, vying for these things, etc. And, you know, I think the, the translations um, was, a um, you know, back to the proper ones, where it was just a kind of a bone thrown, so to speak, more conservatives to kind of maybe placate them. But and ultimately what it, what it has done is caused even more division, more tension, Amongst the you know between the liberals and the, but you know it's it's uh, it's again it's the if you if one understands the the general principle what drives the Novus Ordo and it's it's not about conserving the faith it's not about saving souls it's not a, it's a the, the buzzword or the the driving force behind the Novus Ordo between the, the Vatican II religion is that of change it's. I mean, that's the only constant word you'll hear. It's change. Um, you know, it's everything has to change, which is their kind of their own, their, their, their dogma, which is, you know, interesting because dogmas don't change, but yet that's what they say, that everything has to change. Everything must evolve. Not really change. So, it, you know, that's, and so it, this is just another evolution, so to speak, in regards to really the foreseeing of the architects of the Novus Ordo that they, they forced, I believe a lot of them foresaw what they were, you know, going to, trying to do. And, and even Ratzinger himself had, had said, you know, basically he's very, if you know, uh, he's very, uh, um, 
um, he was tutelaged in, in, under the, the Hegelian philosophies of, of basically you have two um, opposites coming together and they kind of clash and fight. And then from within that clash and fight, this new offspring comes out. And, and, uh, and this is kind of what's kind of the vision, I think, of what Vatican II has tried to do is they, you know, they're taking the old and have this new and they're having a fight together. And then you're going to have this even newer thing come out now. And, and, uh, it's like the whole hybrid mass thing that Ratzinger was proponent of, and some were others too. And it's a, uh, again, it's it's really, it is forming something uh, new. And and you know, the church herself, of course, we know, does not change. It cannot change, and because Christ doesn't change. And, and but yet, this is you know, this is a, just another sign that all these changes, all these things, and are just uh, another sign that. That that that's not the Catholic Church, um, and, and that's a it's like a it's like a a, a clone in a sense, but uh, a, a mutation trying to portray itself as the Catholic Church. Right, uh, quite the attempt to make the Catholic Church more and more pastoral. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's another grand word. Uh, the two words I remember very very clearly when I was were drilled in seminary and, and in the parishes as well. Is that there are two words that were always drilled into us, and it was pastoral and charity, and both of them had totally different meanings of what uh, the true meanings of the words are. And basically, it's basically pastoral basically meant um, acceptance of everything, and uh, charity means again. Uh, you know, the same thing, basically, accept, you know, to be acceptable of everything and everybody, you know, even if it's wrong. So it's, uh, those are those two buzzwords that are constantly being, and I think even today, probably in seminaries, I'm sure they're being thrust on them uh, as well. Well, we would like to remind you that you're listening to Escape from the Novus Ordo on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Jason Guardiano, and I am joined by Father Michael Oswald. And today we've been we've been discussing uh, the Nova Soto Mass, the intentional irreverence, the many, many pastoral changes, and the dilution of Catholic faith. Uh, we want to remind you that Escape from the Nova Soto is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. Permission can usually be very easily obtained by writing to mail at truerestoration.org. On the subject of change, Father, uh, with the old Mass, we have stability, everything regulated by precise laws to protect purity of worship and doctrine, versus the new Mass's constant change. Options, options, and more options. Individual priests and parish liturgy committees get to pick, drop, or invent text to push what they think people should believe. Um, so I'm sure they trained you in a in this quote unquote ministry in the uh, Nova Soto Seminary, Father. Oh, absolutely. I and mean, we were we were taught to think of um, the Mass, uh, you know, Nova Soto as we have to look at certain themes, and that's why you know you have probably you maybe you're too young in the sense yet, but back in like in the 70s, and that you'd have the just the decor even of the the church would be had you know you have all these and probably those who are old enough they remember these banners that they would bring out you know banners and hang up here and it's just 
you know, supposed to be reflecting the theme, quote-unquote, of the Mass, you know, and, um, and just like you're setting up for a stage play. Um, and so we were instructed in, in kind of those sort of areas to do things like that. And uh, I remember one, as a seminarian still, um, in the par- one of the parishes during Lent, <clears throat> it was uh, the whole theme was that every Sunday Mass is that it was my duty. I had to, for the first Sunday of Lent, I would I had to carry the cross up the center aisle. Um, you know, like, like a wooden actual wooden cross, kind of over my shoulder, up the center aisle, and then the one person coming from the congregation would follow me. And then the next Sunday, there would be two or two or three or four people who would uh, um, be selected to then follow me. And by the fourth. Sunday of Lent, and by the time Holy Cross, you know, you have a whole bunch of people following me carrying this cross, uh, putting it up in the sanctuary, and it was just, you know, basically kind of theatrical sort of trickery in a sense to, as somehow the Mass itself um, needs these things to portray what the reality is happening of of Christ's um, death and and. Um, suffering and you know it's it's somehow the mass is insufficient to portray to the people what should be you know what the theme or what should be thought about or meditated upon or believed and so it it was just uh, we were quite, quite uh, well versed in those things but it it shows you too that you always you're required to have a couple of uh, committees <clears throat> Vatican II requires each parish to have a committee. Um, uh, two of them, a financial and I think a pastoral. And also it's recommended, and in fact, really kind of enforced in most uh, dioceses, is that you're supposed to have a liturgical committee as well. So you would think, well, what, what consists of a liturgical committee? And it's basically just sitting around figuring out, okay, what are the things, the themes we can do for this Mass? What things we can do, you know, little little play acting things, or, you know, maybe at the Offertory, we can have liturgical dancers come up and you know express the whatever theme of this more clearly and etc. And so these are the things that lay people basically and the priests will sit there. And ultimately, and I'm, I've been to many of them, it's usually the liturgical coordinator, often a woman or or a, or the liturgical or the uh, musical director who is in charge of it who is calling the shots and saying, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, you know, we're going to have these colors here and this, that, and this. <clears throat> and oftentimes the priest is kind of like, okay, and I got that, I got that very, <clears throat> uh, that was pointed out to me very quickly um, in when in uh, sort of, uh, when I was in the parish, once I was, you know, quote-unquote ordained and I was in the parish, that, that was pointed out to me very quickly. I just show up, this is okay, this is what you're going to do, and then, you know, um, so I was basically an employee of this liturgical committee. And I remember, too, uh, I gave a sermon one time. There's this very just insipid, just uh, awful song. There's many awful songs within the Nosoro, but this one was just, it was just terrible, but it was always played. And it's it's, uh, it's called All Are Welcome, you know, all you know, this sort of, but the, the the words of it is is basically universal salvation. It's all the welcome. It doesn't matter. Well, you know, no repentance needed, etc. And it would be sung all the time in the parish. And I gave a sermon on one time using that as how 
that's not what the church teaches, etc. You know, and this is, you know, I tried to give, explain it in a nice way, I suppose. But nonetheless, I was kind of slamming that song. And so the next Sunday, what do you think the very opening song was for me at Abigail <laughs> that I had to? It was All Are Welcome. So it was showing me my place. And, you know, like, listen, you know, we're, we're in charge here, which ultimately they are. So, you know, the priests and, and all the, we're, we're very versed in the seminary or prepared for all these sort of things uh, that, you know, we have to have these theme sort of masses and, and how basically to ultimately keep people's attention, you know, basically entertain them, basically, is what it is. And, and that's, that's another, when you think, why do I have to do that? I mean, isn't the mass sufficient enough? Um, it should be, but again, this is just the 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 lack of understanding or the the purposeful lack of understanding and the irreverence used to to demonize the the mass itself. Um, even if it be the the you know quote the quote unquote the Novus uh, Ordo quote unquote mass, still it's kind of thing. Well, it's insufficient, you know, and that's played out throughout. A lot of things, even just in the devotional life, you know, the whole thing of, you know, John Paul II adding another mystery to the rosary. I mean, wasn't it sufficient enough? Didn't that lady give it to St. Dominic in a perfect condition? And the Catholics have been saying it for a thousand years and in regards to that. And it doesn't it correspond with the Psalms, with the video Psalms? Or the, you know, wasn't it? But somehow it was then lacking something and it took the courageous. St. John Paul II, you know, now to, to give us something uh, that uh, to fulfill what was lacking. And it's a lot of times that that's, that's in layperson's mind. Those things are being, you know, somehow that the church has been insufficient up until this time. And it took now these, you know, changes of Vatican II and all this. Now, somehow, the church now is beginning to come into her fullness. Well, you know, that's that's the understanding of a lot of the lay people within those ordo. And that, you know, certainly that's damaging. Father, can you, in the most pastoral fashion for the care of people's souls, is uh, participating in a liturgical committee or a pastoral council, is it wrong? Is it sinful to do so? Uh, uh, well, it, to to again, it's almost like the, the veil of... of Good is kind of put across everything, just like we we're talking about the you know oh more we need more scripture, but it's really a detriment in regards to the people, or you know we need this or not this, and it's more detrimental. And for most, for for many, you, you'd say that they're you know of goodwill, like they're like on the finance council or a pastoral council. I mean, they're of goodwill; they want to help. I mean, and, and there's a um, a desire to help, and, but unfortunately, is that what they're not? They've been hoodwinked, or at least for for some, anyway. For some, I think there is a certain agenda, um, which I've seen many, many times. But you know, they're 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 hoodwinked into thinking that this is something that they could help with. Well, it, it really isn't. It's more of a detriment. But in the traditional church, and even church before Vatican II, every pastor. Certainly knows would know his his strengths and his weaknesses, and and so every pastor would need 
always would choose some people to help him with certain things that he needed help with. Like uh, most often, you know, things in regards to financial things, you know, I need advice on this or that, or I need uh, help with this or, or so that the priest would be free to, you know, be able to have some people to help, help him. And that was the, but it was always the priest who was the pastor, who was the final uh, he, the best, as the uh, saying goes, you know, the buck stopped with him. That he made the choices, he made the decisions. You know, he okay, we're gonna go this way or that way. But but that's really taken out of the hands of the of Presbyter, the priest, and the Novus Ordo. Is is now it's with these committees and 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 it's really the lay people who are now in charge. And it's very Protestant um, because in Protestant uh, Protestantism, you have a group of of lay people, obviously, uh, who who are the board of any Protestants, um, and so they'll they'll pick and choose whoever they want to be their pastor, and and basically the pastor is their employee, and if he says something or does something or she says something or does something wrong, then they can fire him and get another one. And um, but the but the really the power of the authority lies with that board, that lay, and that's really what. Had happened in in the historical. They've taken the authority away from the priest um, and given it to um, the lay people. And so you're really, although one thinks that they're you know trying to do good, but ultimately, if you look at and take a step back of what's really happening, is that really they're they're not. Um, it doesn't take away the fact again that there are many who are of goodwill. They want to do good, but you know you just you have to think of those those things, um, you know. But because it was the priest, and, you know, the, it's always the bishops and the priests were always in charge. Um, I mean, that was it. Uh, but not in the Novus Ordo, and it's become now more of a, I guess, democratic in a sense um, situation where basically the lay people will decide if what's to be had, or what's to be done, or or what's or who even the, you know, we need to get rid of this priest or this, you know, and get a new one in. You know, basically, it's the voice of the lay people who take have more clout and more weight than the authority of the priest. It's almost as if the Nova Soda presider is the only one who has to be obedient, obedient to his people, and obedient to to his bishop. So it kind of turns it on its head. Well, exactly. Yes, I mean, it, it's you're no longer. As the priest is the was well, you could just take we're just take, talking about the mass. The priest is the mediator mediator between God and man. I mean, he is the one who is leading the people to God in that regard. That's why he faces the altar, the face towards east. He doesn't face the people. But you know, once you once you get rid of that idea, <clears throat> then you're right. Is that then the the priest? I mean, basically he's yeah he's still called to be obedient, uh, and but not just obedience to the bishop, which she's supposed to be, and obedient first and foremost, of course, to um, to, to Almighty God, the church, the bishop. But now you're right. He has to be obedient now to, and he has, he, he becomes in a sense, and every, um, I felt this very keenly, and I'm sure any presbyter still left, you know, in Nos Ordo, uh, who was, you know, conserved, at least in any, any way, trying to be Catholic, Feels the same thing is that they are basically just an employee of the lay people, not not just not of the bishop really, um, but of because you 
you become, you have to play this human respect game is that you can't dare offend anyone within your, your of the lay people within your church. And you're, you're seeing this now and just to give an example, like out in San Francisco, you have uh, what's uh, Court Alone or whatever, uh, I forget his name. Right. But right, there's certainly no, no, I mean, obviously he's not uh, ordained, and, and, but he's certainly no traditionalist or no conservative at all, but but yet he had the gall in the mind of some people to actually say something Catholic and, and uphold things of Catholic. Like if you're going to work for a Catholic school, you're going to abide by, you know, the Catholic understanding of, of these things and actually try to enforce that. And you see the uproar that's happened now is that you have these prominent lay people now, many who are, have a lot of clout um, either in their professions or even money wise as well. And they're, you know, writing this letter and, and I, in protest and, and, and basically how could you, you know, actually force this Catholic things on us, et cetera. And, and that's becoming, that's going to carry a lot of weight. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, he backs down or if he wires it down or if he's told to do so, or, you know, or if basically he gets removed. I mean, ultimately if he doesn't and so, that's that's what you're dealing with in, in within the Norse or in state. Um and, and, but that's the mindset of the world. And but unfortunately sometimes too you have that mindset because following human nature is following human nature is that sometimes you have some with even within the traditional movement who may somehow think that way as well. Like, you know, basically you're here to serve me, um and what I want and so what I want should go. And well not no, it's it's what our Lord wants, and and I'm here to lead you and teach you and and guide you, and sometimes have to chastise you, etc., to do so. But but that's uh, you know that's the mindset of the of the Norris that you're beholden to whatever the whims of, of the lay people, and you have people like Francis, you know, the destroyer, uh, to kind of back that up to that, you know, basically telling him, I think his new, one of his newer things he said was that um, he's basically told priests, he says, if anyone comes to you for baptism, you cannot refuse them. Well, the church has not said that. That's, you know, there has to be certain certain things that has to be, um, you know, basically that child, you have to have a, a moral assurance that that child's going to be raised Catholic um, and, and, you know, etc. But he's, beginning to set the pattern now to where you're going to have now same-sex couples coming up to baptize my child. Yes, okay, you can't confuse me. And putting more authority in the hands of of the lay people. And the, the presbyter is just basically just, he's just an employee. Yes, and then the absurdity of a quote-unquote conservative Novus Ordo people using the same tactics, making a petition to Ask Francis to uphold Catholic teaching. Right. If you, if I mean, just on a, on a, it's almost it's comical in a certain sense. It's tragic in another, of course. But it's if you have to petition a pope, which you think you think is the pope, or you have to petition a bishop or a priest even to uphold what the church teaches, then there's larger things one has to then begin to worry about. And that's a hard thing to realize that. If you want the true faith, if you want the the Catholic faith, these bishops aren't going to back you up. The Pope's not going to back you up, and that's such a hard hard thought to accept. 
Yes, there's no doubt about that. Yes, absolutely. On the network, we, we rarely talk about liturgical abuse, basically because of this reason, that, that this constant change, all of this is expected and allowed. So you can have you know, different themed months instead of Month of Our Lady, you have the Asian Pacific Islander Month or something, or you have the Jazz Mass, Hip Hop Mass, the the Beatles Mass, or after people complain, the Mass of Beatles music. Um, right. So it's just so tough that there's nobody telling, no one's saying that this is wrong, and and it's encapsulated too in some of these Nova Soto Masses. You have the uh, prayer petitions where it's free form and anybody in the congregation can can give up a prayer and, and it just results in what's jokingly referred to as prayer wars because right. people may pray for for <laughs> for sinful things. Yeah. Unfortunately. No, you have to understand in regards to when one cries liturgical abuse you know, like conservatives, like we all, you know, we would we would say, you know, that you can't do that, you can't do that. I mean, even in the even in the the uh, the missile of the Nosorto, I mean, they actually do have rubrics in there. I mean, you're supposed to follow those rubrics, and you're supposed to do those. I mean, it's still, I mean, um, and as we were even taught, even what they were always taught to is that you know you. You uh, say the black and you do the red because the red were always in rubrics and etc. And you're supposed to do that. <clears throat> you're supposed to follow that. But really, when the the whole everything because of the words of the confusion of the ambiguity of the words of the of, of many things of you know, the uh, changing of the meanings of words and the you know the documents of Vatican II the on the liturgy etc. is very can play both sides, ambiguous, changing this and that. Basically, what has been is that anything that is a is an abuse or what someone calls an abuse is just a relative term to what they think it is. Again, the ultimate thing is is um, it's basically about change. Is that basically what when man is or when God is replaced by man, which this is a man-centered liturgy. <clears throat> it is not. It is not God-centered. It is, is man-centered. It's uh, and everything points to that. Every action, every every words now at, within the Novus Ordo is pointed to a, a man-centered liturgy. When that is, then basically you can do what you want, and <clears throat> you can change what you want. You can do whatever you need fit, or you, whatever you think you need to do to reach man or to enrich man. Uh, you know, because you know many you'd hear this from the youth when they would go to just a you know, uh, now no frills, quote unquote, Novus Ordo Mass or something. They would say, "Well, I didn't get anything out of Mass." Well, see, it's a it's a misunderstanding of what the Mass is. But you know, when when you have these abuses, which they, in a certain sense, they are abuses, of course, <clears throat> but because if the priest doesn't do what even the the slim amount of rubrics say within the Novus Ordo, I mean, it's just but there's no penalty to it. We were not taught actually in in the uh, seminary. I don't I don't remember at all being taught that if I didn't do something in the math, if I omitted something purposely, or you know, or you know, just skipped it over or something like that, 
intentionally that there's no penalty attached to it. Whereas in the, the, the old man, the true man, well, if a priest does that, he's a mortal sin. He's committed a mortal sin. Um, you know, there's a penalty attached to that. Is that you're required to abide by those rubrics. Where in the Nomosoro, you're, it's just a, more of a suggestion, kind of like the Ten Commandments are just a suggestion, not a, a mandate. You know, in the minds of some within, in, in today. But you know, it's it's uh, with the, the new masses that you have this again, this this quote freedom um, to do what one thinks they should or, or one feels like they should do to to better um enhance the 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 worship uh, so to speak um so the abuses you know that you do which some people rightly you know will say is they're they're for especially for us conservatives when we were in there and, and is that we are using the old understanding the old theology the old understanding, the true understanding, but the old one, try to apply that to the new. And it doesn't work because in the new, there's, there is none of that. that. There's no, it's basically a free-for-all um, in that regards. <clears throat> and so, it's, again, it's trying to take the, the round peg of Catholicism or the square peg of Catholicism or, and trying to put it into a round hole of Vatican II. And, and it's not, you can't do it. It doesn't work. You know, once people begin to get rid of their understanding of anything about the old, how it used to be, or any understanding of, you know, the, the true understanding of things, then they will understand what the new Mass and what the new religion of Vatican II is, is that it is truly a complete break. Um, there's no, you know, trying to look at it in a, you know, in, a, in a new light or trying to, you know, read Vatican II in the mind of, with the mind of tradition, because you can't, because it's impossible. And so, all these, you know, abuses that you do see, I mean, you're, I would often, I mean, many of us who are of a conservative mindset would, you know, decry and say, well, this, you can't do this, this is wrong. But we, what we're doing is we're taking, again, the past. We're looking at what is now the Novus Ordo through trying to look at through the eyes of that, using the, the terminology and the theological understanding and the, and the rubrics and the, and the, the moral um, guidelines of the past. And trying to apply them now to this new um, thing, and it uh, it didn't work. So, what is abuses for some today is really is not is uh, in the, for the Novus Ordo. I mean, it's just it's just a different expression, according to the Vatican II. It's just a different expression of you know the the faith being not about a Catholic faith, but of whatever faith is being meant by the modernists. And that's what Benedict was trying to do with just making tradition another side altar in the many flavors of Mass. Right. So definitely, Father, it is a big contrast to see how regimented the true Mass is, that everything must be precise. And as you said earlier, that the priest commits a mortal sin to omit uh, part of the Mass purposefully. Um, So I can't recommend enough that people read Work of Human Hands, a theological critique of the Mass of Paul VI by Father Anthony Ciccata. If you if you were a person who was turned off by all this liturgical abuse, quote-unquote, um, reading that book will really, uh, really show you that uh, complaining about liturgical abuse is maybe the wrong thing since it's intentional. Now our last comparison, Father, is uh, in the Old Mass, the priest is 
the sacrificer, the priest faces the tabernacle, cross, and altar, symbolically toward God. The priest performs all the actions and recites all the prayers of the Mass, verses in the new Mass. The priest is president, the actor. The priest faces people instead of symbolically toward God. The priest sits off to the side, his functions given away to laymen and women. Father, definitely the game you have to play if you're in the Novus Ordo is where is the tabernacle? Yes, I've seen I've seen um, the tabernacle in in many strange places in in the Novus Ordo. Um, certainly not on the altar. Um, certainly not in the center of the sanctuary. Um, either off to the side, or sometimes I even see it in a like a closet in the vestibule. Um, you know, whereas basically when someone comes right in, comes to the church, there's a little side room off, maybe right there, and that's kind of where the tabernacle is. Um, so you're right. It is. It is a that is a, a interesting thing. And, and just a quick story. When I was, I spent about a, a month in, in France during seminary um, because we, uh, for, we were there over there in, in Jerusalem for a field trip. And then we were, we had a, a time to go on our own. So I spent about a month in, 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 in France. I would go to different Catholic shrines uh, in France and, one I stayed in Bayou, um, beautiful little town, um, but uh, um, I stayed at a, a convent. Uh, they had a little guest house there with a couple of some Dominican sisters, and they were actually very good. But they showed me their chapel. You know, they they seemed to be, you know, trying to be Catholic. I mean, they were trying to be nuns, and they showed me their chapel, and and I walked in, and it, of course it was modernized, and and I can tell that the sisters didn't like it, but they they just were kind of showing me and. and there was this beautiful, beautiful um, box. Uh, it looked like a sort of a box, and and I immediately it, I thought that was the tabernacle. And I, I at that time, of course, I thought it was the our Lord, and, and I genuflected, and and she kind of looked at me and said, "Oh, she's embarrassed." Said, oh no, I'm, that's that's not that's not the tabernacle. That was a, it was also a way of one of the. Uh, relics holding the relics of of one of um, the saints that they had in their order there, um, and she kind of hesitantly and very shamefully kind of pointed over to this corner, to where the tabernacle was, and I looked at it and it looked like something out of Star Trek. It was just the most hideous thing I've ever seen in my life, and the poor sister, of course, was just utterly embarrassed about it anyway too, since she just. You know, turned around and kind of like try to hurry me out as I looked at it, and I made some comments. And but the sheer fact, not only is it hard to find a tabernacle, but it's often very, you know, I mean, there's no dignity often to many of them, and and in the sort and it's just uh, just another denigration of the real presence of no one, well, nearly no one believes that that's truly our Lord. Obviously, we know objectively uh, for us, it's not in the Sordo. But for those within it, they, you know, they, there is no understanding anymore of, of the real presence of that. Uh, as you said in our previous episode, Father, that that the Novus Ordo Mass becomes a worship of man, and and that's definitely seen with this demotion of the tabernacle to the broom closet or wherever, um, because. With, if the tabernacle is actually on the altar, it just makes so much more sense that everyone, including the priest, is facing God, that all prayer is focused toward God and not toward man. 
Yeah, that's exactly, I mean, you're right. You hit on something very, very good in, in that regards. Is uh, um, even though you may have, and I know there's some in the Minnesota who, who they all, you know, they'll still have, or they'll, they're starting to now, uh, from what I understand, is put the tabernacle in the middle now of the sanctuary. And but even that, just the sure fact that the priest himself, throughout the whole quote mass of the Noah's Ordo, his back, you know, is to our Lord. I mean, it just doesn't, actions speak often louder than words. And, and so the sure fact is even you may still, some places you may have it back in the center or in the prominent place in the center, but yet the priest's back is still to our Lord. And it's almost like, you know, would you do that if you're trying to speak to your father? You know, would you, you know, speak to your mother or something? Would you turn your back on them you know, and try to have a conversation, you know, have a conversation with them. Well, no, of course not. You turn around and face them. And so it's, uh, it's just, just another thing to, to just objectively and, and very externally look at those things. And if the Nova Soto presider wishes to, to face the tabernacle and, and look uh, and face liturgical East at Orantum, um, the obedience to the people will uh, get him to stop doing that, since somebody's going to complain. Unfortunately. Yes. No. There's there's no doubt about that. That they would uh, the priest may the the presbyter may be able to get away with that for a little bit, um, but yes, at some point the bishop would step in and say, "You need to face the people." In a reading about what's necessary for a mass and trying to apply Catholicism to the Novus Ordo, I. I recall all the table masses I witnessed in the Novus Ordo and thinking, where's the altar stone? Uh, so is that no longer necessary in the Novus Ordo? No, actually, uh, there's uh, some some may still retain an altar stone, uh, and, but it's, it's, for most, there is no altar stone there. And, and because you're, it's a table, and and so there's no, because an altar stone is that you're, it's, it's a stone, of course, of usually marble, and has relics uh, of saints in the stone itself. And it's been uh, put as a permanent, a little permanent niche in the altar, right where the consecration would be, or the priest would put the chalice and the host, etc. That's where the altar stone is, and that, of course, reminiscent of of the masses said in, in the very beginning of the church, or, or in the catacombs, or over the um, of the uh, um, graves uh, of the saints uh, of, of the martyrs who were there, and so. But within the Novosoro, that's that's gone, and I, and even in the parish that I was at, I remember seeing in one of the closets. I had seen this beautiful altar stone that was just basically on the floor of the closet, leaning up in the back, just. They've been there for years and years and years and years and just dust-filled and, and how irreverent that is because those are relics that are in there too as well. And so I remember very nonchalantly just asking the pastor, you know, like a, a kind of, in a sense, trying to make it seem like, well, you can, can I have that? If I don't, that's okay. Can I have that? But really, I really, really wanted to say that, to rescue that. And he just said, well, sure, it's just catching dust now. You can have it. So I was able to rescue that altar stone. I still have it, and and uh, but so you don't really have. There's no next need for that uh, in the Novus Ordo. So 
so that's that's kind of out the uh, out the window for for any uh, altar stone or even um, relics per se, even really to the Novosoro. Father, what would you say to those in the Novosoro who would say that they could just offer it up when they go to a Novosoro mass, whether it's reverence or irreverence? Well, the first thing I'd probably say is that would would you would you think the same way um, if you were going to a high Anglican service um, to an Anglican service, you know, where it looks, you know, Latin, or would you say that if you had to go to a a you know the Worcester Church does occasionally allow for a good reason, if one for a funeral or, or even a wedding, if it's a close. Relatives, you know, you have to go sometimes to a Protestant place. Um, so, would you? Is that the same mentality you have there to offer that up, which is a false worship anyway, um, to to the No Sordo when you have these, you know, terrible things going on, etc. You know, extraterrestrial you know, dancing and all these kind of crazy things. I mean, it's the same. Is that the same mentality that one has? And if that's the same mentality, then there's something wrong. But then, really, the bottom line would be, and I would say this to to many, is how can the church herself be a cross for someone? How is it possible that the church is providing a situation for someone who wants to be Catholic? How is it that the church is then a cross for that person? How can it be? It can. The church is is a mother. Is she's giving us what we need? It's She's not there to make it difficult or hard for us to make it unbearable for us that we have to just grit and bear it in a sense to go through um, that. So how is it then that the church can be a cross for us? How is that possible? How is it that a pope can be a cross for the faithful? How is it that a bishop can be a cross for the faithful? And to just how can we that that whole mindset is is just is not Catholic in that regard. So, you know, the church herself, again, is a mother, and, she's, and she cannot give anything that is um, wrong or evil or, or misleading or can harm the sheep. Um, and so if one really thinks about that, how can these things go on? How do we have to bear through the... Because what we're saying then is somehow that the church is giving us something that is basically not good for us, but that's an impossibility. So that's something to, 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 I would say to those within those ordo, you know, the church cannot give anything that is evil or, or, um, or a cross for us. And it should not be, it should be a place of, of, of refuge of salvation for us, of course, um, not a place where we have to fight uh, against the church herself. So that would be, I would leave often with people to think about. Um, as we close out this episode, Father, we've we've covered the uh, intentional reverence of the new Mass in its changes, in its new translations, in its priest as the president or the actor in the Mass as a show instead of a sacrifice. Uh, I want to thank uh, Father Oswald for his time and being with us on this episode. Um, is there anything else you would like to add in summary before we close out our episode, Father, especially uh, maybe to those who would say um, that 
it would be better for them to stay in the Nova Soto and fight for reverence or to be a Catholic or, or for a true sacraments? Well, I would just say, um, since especially we're coming into just in a few days of the month of May, um, of course, uh, dedicated to our Blessed Mother, I would say uh, to to uh, really, truthfully pray one's rosary every day for Our Lady to help guide them, to help them to see the truth, to help them to see um, what's going on and to see the futility of trying to change something that is not going to change. That it is because if it's not going to, if it's... Uh, if it's not going to to uh, or trying or trying to change something, I should say that should not have to change um, because the church should not have to change. Um, it's uh, and so because if it's something to be changed, then it's not the church. Um, so, but to put that under the the auspices of Our Lady and to pray a rosary every day to for them to to be able to continue to ask her for her guidance and to see the truth and to, uh, and she will, she'll, she'll guide um, those who, who truly put themselves under her, uh, her, her maternal mantle. Well, once again, Father Oswald, thank you for your time and we will talk to you again next month as we continue this series. God bless you. Okay. Thank you. God bless you. If you have any questions for Father Michael Oswald or feedback on this episode, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at escape at truerestoration.org, and we will pass along your questions or comments to Father Oswald. And we would also take this moment to remind you that all correspondence with us are strictly confidential. We would like to thank the sponsor of this show, NovasortaWatch.org. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who helped make our network worthwhile. Remember, above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a Mass, a Rosary, or even a simple Ave for our work the next time you pray. <laughs>